Hello and welcome to The Conversation with me, Amanda Decadene. This series of The Conversation is brought to you by VS Voices, another fantastic podcast I host, which highlights trailblazing women from around the world to celebrate the multifaceted nature of the female experience. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On this week's episode, I'm speaking to actress and author Juliana Margulies about her new book, Sunshine Girl. It's so nice to meet you. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for taking the time and welcome to the conversation. Nice to be here. So I was looking at the title of your book. The first thing that struck me was the title of it, which was Sunshine Girl, An Unexpected Life. And I thought, why did you call it that? And do you feel like your life is unexpected? Where did that title come from? That was my nickname that my mother gave me my whole Sunshine life. Girl was your nickname, right? Yeah, she called me her Sunshine Girl, and which I wore as a badge of honor, really, when I was little until I realized that it didn't allow me to ever have any kind of emotional problems. <laughs> it didn't allow me to stay on the friendly side of the feeling wheel. I always felt that I had to make everybody happy and be the kind of person that didn't cause a stir, didn't stir the mud, didn't say, no, I don't like that. I like this. No, this doesn't work for me. I just would go with the flow because of that title. I really do believe that she meant it as a compliment, but what it made me very aware of once I became an adult and got into therapy was that when you nickname your kids, they live up to those expectations. And it might be just one thing they do. And that's why you name nickname your kid, you know, Hey, grumpy. Well, then they grow up thinking, well, everyone expects me to be grumpy. I'll just be grumpy. They identify you know? with that. Yeah. Kids identify with it. And because I had such a nomadic life and came from, you know, these parents were divorced. And I talk about my travels throughout my whole childhood and what I went through with my mom. I never expected the life that I finally got where I am today. It was so the idea of having an unchaotic existence, the idea of being in a stable relationship, being in one place for longer than two years was just not in my wheelhouse. You had no frame of reference. Exactly. What I did have was tremendous love. Hmm. My parents were incredibly loving and told me I could do anything. You can be whatever you want to be. It wasn't that I wasn't from a family that valued who I was as a person. It's just that because of that title, Sunshine Girl, and because of our situation, I was the one, the youngest of three girls, who just decided, okay, I'll make everything better. And then you become a woman, (laughs) you get into relationships. Which we're trained to do anyway. We are trained as women to be the fixer. You know, let me fix you. Let me fix the situation. Let me spend all my energy fixing everything outside of myself and leaving myself to last. Absolutely. We're conditioned to put everyone watching my mother put herself first made it very important for me in my life. As I grew up, I would, I would take mental notes saying, well, I'll never do that to someone and I'll never do that to someone. And I'll always put someone else first and thinking that that would be a good thing. 
But in the end, I was really just shooting myself in the foot because I was sort of grinning and bearing things rather than living a life that I really wanted. Oh, I so relate to what you're saying. It For me, it has been to not live in reaction to other people, whether that is you're not going to be your mother and so you are going to be the opposite, or you're living for other people and everything you do is based around what their needs are. And I think what you're describing is living a life that is authentic to yourself, which for so many of us, if we're fortunate enough to ever get to that point of realizing, oh, I'm not living for me, Right. How do I change that? And then having the tools to change that when you've already set in motion marriage, careers, children, possibly all the things that are set in motion from that other place of being reactive to undoing those things is then can then take the next phase of our life to undo and to redo. Absolutely. If you don't build the foundation, you're going to become an adult, and not have a foundation. Correct. Right. So if you build a house without a foundation, the house is going to fall down. Yeah. So true. I think I started realizing really when I turned 35, to be honest. What um, happened at 35? What was that? Why was that a key significant year for you? With age, I had been in a very difficult relationship from the age of 25 to 35. And from about the age of 30 to 35, I had been trying to break up with this guy. But I was always pulled back in because I was weak and I didn't want to hurt another human being or be the cause of someone else's pain ever. Or you just didn't know what you didn't know. And so you were doing the best you could with the tools you had at the time. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's a kind way of looking at it. I want to be kind to the 30-year-old Juliana just to say (laughs) she was doing the best she could. I was, I was, I was doing the best I could. Absolutely. I don't have any regrets, honestly, because I did beat myself up about it for a few years after I finally got out of the relationship and found such peace, not being in a toxic relationship. I was like, oh my God, I have time for my friends. I have time for the, to do the things I want to do. I, I don't have to check in with anyone. It just was so freeing. Um, and I think the age 35 as a woman for me anyway was really a moment of what do I want the rest of my life to look like because I'm not happy and if I'm really honest with myself I can see that and stop pretending I pretend for a living that's what I do and I love doing it I love what I like being in someone else's shoes because it takes all the onus off of me yes and you can you can act in terrible ways because someone wrote it in the script, you know, but when you write your own script as a human being, um, you have to show up for yourself. And I think I was having a very difficult time showing up for myself. And when I turned 35, I think what starts to happen is this sort of no bullshit meter mm-hmm. starts to happen as women become um, more comfortable in their own bodies. As I started to understand who I was, I was like, Oh, you know what? I don't like that. This doesn't feel good. Whereas before I didn't know how to even to clock that this is how it is. So just deal with it. And then I found myself skimming along rather than really engaging. I mean, one of the jokes with my friends when I was in this relationship, (laughs) that was whenever I went to um, one of their houses with him, I would always curl up in a ball on the couch and fall asleep. 
And it was why because you someone, that? what, why do you think you did that? Oh, I know why I did that. I did that because I was so exhausted because he was exhausting and his needs were so tremendous and just the needy, 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 needy of it all. I remember him once saying, when we have kids and in my, in the back of my head, I was like, I'm never having kids with you. Are you kidding? Like you're exhausting. I can't imagine taking care of two of you. Isn't it and so when I get feeling though, to know, like when that person's saying to you, you're like, no, I don't want a life with you. I don't want kids with you. I don't even like you. You exhaust me, but I can't leave you. That right. feeling is so debilitating. But so many women feel that way. I know. That's why I like to talk about it because it's not an anomaly. It's common. And, and I've been that woman and I have many, many girlfriends who have also been that woman. It's like a rite of passage that you either get stuck in, you know, unfortunately, a lot of women do, or for whatever reason, you have an awakening, which you're talking about happened to you when you were 35, where you were finally able to say, I don't choose this for myself anymore. It's a very empowering feeling. I went to therapy after I got out. And as I started discussing it, I realized that I had been so conditioned to be on eggshells because of my childhood that it's what I knew best. So being in a relationship where, where his moods were erratic and I never knew what the day held for me, I never, I never felt secure in the relationship. It made me realize, oh, I was just repeating my childhood because I was always on eggshells with my mom. What, what country are we gonna live in? Will we live near dad? What school am I going to? Do I have the right clothes? How am I gonna get to camp if I'm living in England and I go to camp in America? And well, you know, all these things that are built in you, they, they're so deeply embedded, even when you are no longer living at home. Oh, I want to give little Juliana a hug when I hear you say that. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about, that even as an adult, as a grown woman outside and not living in those circumstances anymore, it's just in us until we know that it's running the show. Yeah. And, and until you realize, oh, I have control over this, actually. No one controls me. I control my reaction to things but I can't control anyone else except myself. Yes. I have no power over anybody else, but me. I have no power. So therefore I'm going to do what makes me feel good. You know, hopefully in a mindful way, I'm not talking about walking all over people. And, but I used to think that if you said no, you were being a bad person. Well, because people don't like to hear it. They just don't. And, and finding ways to say no, no is a complete sentence. And, you know, people often have bad reactions to it. Right. You don't realize also they're coming from their past and you can't fix them. No one has the power to fix anyone but themselves. So I was, was thinking, because he had had a really traumatic childhood, I'm going to show him how beautiful the world is. It's his childhood. And unless he decides to, to fix himself, I, who am I? I don't have that kind of power. So it was a great transformation. And in those few years... I always overlapped boyfriends from the age of 15. I had these long relationships, five years, five years, 10 years. And so when I finally was 35 and free of any relationship with a man, I'm so corny, but I literally felt like I was flying. Yeah. I felt like the weights had been taken off of me. I was just flying and gliding through a beautiful life that I really loved. So by the time I met my now husband, my bullshit meter was so good 
that I was exactly who I am to myself and to my friends as I was to the boyfriend I was dating at the time who ultimately became my husband. I was able to show him, listen, this is me. I'm not going to change for you. And he was like, great, because I like you as you are. But my question is, how did you go from being somebody who didn't have a sense of self that was strong enough to not choose the first guy that you were with was it the therapy that was part of that transformation? Because so often we bury ourselves so deep that it takes years to kind of thaw out, right? And for our true essence and to even know who it is that we are and what we need and what we want, that can be a process that can take years and years for some people. So I'm wondering, in addition to the therapy, what did you do that helped you come into your full self? That's a great question. There's a few things. First of all, my mom actually had said this and I write about it in the book. She was like, in my professional life and in my own friends, with my own friends, without a man around, I was actually incredibly strong. I've always been very strong-willed and I've always had an incredible willpower and I've been forceful, you know? But when it came to men, I clammed up and shut up and shut that part of me down because I think I was afraid of scaring them away or afraid that it was too strong or that I seemed too capable. God forbid that you God forbid were too strong, right? Yeah. So it was a good juxtaposition between therapy, knowing well enough that I needed to go and work on this stuff and working out my own things in my own past. And I talk about that in the book too, because a lot of it has to do with my parents, which ultimately I got an apology from both of them at different times in my life because I really wanted to have that relationship with them. I didn't want to keep those boxes that you check and then you did this and then you did that. I, I wanted that to be gone because it's so toxic to live that way. And so I confronted both of them at different times in my life. I was lucky because I had very openly spiritual parents who, when I did confront them instead of, well, my mother didn't speak to me for a year. And oh, then wow. she came back to me and I was so glad she did. And we worked through it. And my dad, I didn't confront him until I was 40 and pregnant. And he showed up. He, he wrote this letter saying, I'm so sorry. I thought I was doing everything I could. And I realized I should have done more. And anyway, we worked it out. And so I guess part of me wanted to sort of pay it forward to other people to say, you know, man, if you can try because you don't know what their response is going to be. We always think we know who our parents are, but they're just human beings too. And maybe they've evolved. And as you said, you grew up with parents who have their own spiritual practices and perspectives and the same way that we have to allow ourselves to make mistakes and to take ownership and to evolve. We have to allow our parents that same right. I'll tell you this. I have learned just from having a kid Saying I'm sorry is one of, I think, the most empowering things you can do for another human being. Because it also, I know with my own child, when I've done something where I just go, that was shitty what I just did. I fess up and I say, you know what? I'm so sorry. That wasn't right. And I do it not just because he deserves that, but because I want him to know how to apologize. Yes. I also, your son is 15, right? He's 14. Yeah. yeah. I have 15 year old boy, girl twins. Oh boy. And yeah. So we're in the same kind of, you know, age range here. And I think taking ownership and teaching them that we're human 
and yeah. we make mistakes, to role model ownership of those mistakes is so crucial. It gives them permission to be flawed too. Exactly. None of us are perfect. It would be such a boring world if we were. And I don't want him to grow up thinking he's supposed to be perfect. I want him to grow up making mistakes and sometimes having to apologize for them. Yeah. Have you found yourself, despite what you know about how you were raised and all the ways that you don't want to raise your child, because I've certainly found myself doing and saying things and I'm like, whoa, there is some subconscious stuff that just came out that I didn't realize was still there. Oh my God. All the time. Because I, I'm so determined to not have him grow up in the chaos I grew up in. And I'm not talking so much financially. I'm talking like disorganization and stability. Yeah, structure. And I actually, there's a chapter in the book and I write about my, the guilt that I had when I was working on The Good Wife, 14 hours a day, five days a week, always thinking about my character and how my character would react and, and having to learn lines and being just under tremendous stress. I would always dress him and tie his shoes and make sure everything was perfect for him. And then when he was seven and told me he hated this one pair of sneakers, I realized it wasn't the sneakers he hated. It was that they weren't Velcro straps and he didn't know how to tie his own shoes because I had been doing it for him because I had such guilt about not being there enough. How did you come to terms with that? And, and what did you do? You have to be okay with watching them struggle. I did go back to therapy to work on that. I was like, wow, I'm so scared that he's going to have the childhood I had, that I'm going so far overboard. And I think I'm actually giving him a disability by not making him fend for himself. I mean, honestly, I literally had this conversation a couple of hours ago because my 15-year-old daughter is flying by herself tomorrow. For the, she's flown hundreds of times in her life, but tomorrow she's flying by herself. And she is saying, look, mom, I've flown so many times, you know, I'm going to be okay. I know what to do. And I have so much anxiety about it because I don't want something to happen to her. I want it to be a good experience. I don't want all my fears and projections, right? Yesterday, I had a two-hour therapy session about, am I overparenting? What is my trauma response? What is my projection onto her? And then what is just normal 15-year-old pushback? And trying to separate what is the healthy part from the unhealthy yeah. part is sometimes yeah. so difficult. Parenting is the hardest job you'll ever have because you never know, am I doing it right? Am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? And I would be the exact same way. But in those moments, I think about, like my mother put me and my sisters, I was three. My eldest sister was nine. She put us on a plane to Portugal from Spain to go and see my father. We had no money. There were no phones back then, you know, and you figure it out. Right. I've been doing so much by myself for so long. And I look at all those experiences. And I remember one time being on a pay phone in the airport and leaving my boarding pass in the phone booth and getting to the plane and realizing I didn't have my boarding pass. Well, guess what I learned? I never did that again. So we know, right, from being like eternally self-sufficient that you learn these skills through the experience of it not going how you wanted it to go. That's why you're self-sufficient. Right. And what you're talking about giving your kid a disability by overdoing for them, there's the fear of that. You know, yeah. there is the fear and overparenting when you come from a disrupted childhood, of which most of us do, is so hard to not repeat, you know, almost like an inverse trauma because you can go over the top. 
my kids say to me all the time, you know, you're so overprotective because I came from an abandoning childhood. And, um, you know, I was in juvie when I was 15. So I never want my kids to feel abandoned or, you know, I, I'm over the top with that. You know, I have to constantly work on that. They say to me, you know, we have to go out in the world and we have to learn. And we're not going to do that with you uh, sitting on the other end of the phone with us. And it's true. Yeah. And, you know, there's also a certain letting go, especially we have teenagers now. My child takes the subway to school every day and has been doing so since he was 13. And I have seen him change because of it. He has a great sense of independence and he knows how to handle himself out there in the street. And one day I said, do you need any money for school? Because oftentimes after school, he goes with all his friends and they go to the gym and get dinner or whatever. And he said, I just need $2. And I said, what are you going to buy for $2? And he goes, no, mom, it's just this one homeless guy. I see him every day. And every week I promise him $2. And I thought, that's great, right? So he is actually out in the world seeing what's going on. I don't have to tell him how lucky he is. He sees it. I don't have to drill it in his brain. He's experiencing it. He knows, you know, the first time he took the train by himself, of course I followed him. <laughs> he doesn't know that. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I followed him and then we got the, you know, we follow him. We can find out where he is on his phone. Oh we can God, track him. That's what I do. I watch that thing like a hawk to make sure that they are where I think they are. And Thank God. Well, well, I did in the beginning. And then my husband and I talked about it and we said, you know, we have to show him that we trust him. Very important. And that we're not always watching so that he makes the right choices for himself. It's one of those things with teenagers. A friend of mine said to me, I was like, oh my God, teenagers, like it's a whole new world, right? They're grumpy in the morning. and, And she goes, oh, you have to laugh. And I said, just laugh. And she goes, always. There's no comeback for them right? Which means you're accepting the state there. And it stopped all the sort of anxiety I had about having a teenager where he'll say something and I'll go, oh, okay. And I just leave the room. You don't take it personally. I don't take any of it personally because it has nothing to do with me. But it is good to be reminded that it has nothing to do with you because it can certainly feel personal sometimes. My God. Oh, well, it, yeah, I take it all too personally. <laughs> you know, I mean, on my really good days, I don't. And on my not so good days, I do. And I remind myself that I am the parent. I'm not the friend. I don't want to be his friend. I want him to know he can talk to me, but I am the parent. I set the rules and the boundaries. It's what honestly I craved my whole life was someone to set some sort of a boundary for me. I'm sure you did too, to hear that you have to be home at a certain time or did you do your homework or, you know, to know that people care about you that way. It's a container. Otherwise it's just free floating and that feeling. Oh, you're spilling out. Yeah. You're spilling out all over the place. So, okay. So when you were 35, you had this awakening and then you said that you got into another relationship with someone who met you where you were at. Would that be accurate to say that? Yeah. It was a few years after the long 10 year relationship. I had a lot of fun for a few years. And then I was actually having the best Valentine's day of my life by myself. I had come home from work. I was working on the last season of the Sopranos and I got home early and I walked to my favorite bookstore and I got this book I'd been dying to read. And I made myself a gorgeous bubble bath and I poured myself a glass of wine 
And I was living in Soho at the time. I put on the music I wanted to listen to. I didn't have to talk to anybody. And three days later, I met my husband. That's real testament to really that notion of, you know, living your truth. And the thing is like, for whatever dysfunction, and I've been in very dysfunctional relationships, the truth is, is like, that's where I was at. You know, I wouldn't have stayed otherwise. I stayed in there because that's where I was at. And the more- right, And you learn from it, right? Yes, you, absolutely. I mean, that's why I have no regrets because I learned so much from being in that relationship. So now you've been in that relationship for how long? With my husband? Yeah. Ooh, we've been together over 16 years. Congratulations. We've been married 14 and a half years. Wow. I am- with my husband for 20 years and married to him for 16 years. So yeah, I mean, it's no small feat. No, I guess not. I feel like, I feel like the time, I can't believe we've been together 16 yeah, years. I know, I know. I feel like that too. It's like, wh- how did this happen? And how do I have 15 year old kids? And yeah. what have I been doing? And you know. I know. I actually wasn't really interested in marriage or children, to be honest with you. I didn't see myself as the kind of person who could tolerate parenthood. <laughs> what um, changed for you? Meeting the right guy. We had known each other about six months. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, if he asked me to marry him right now, I'd say yes. You just know when you know. You do know, don't you? I had that as well. When I saw my husband for the first time, I had this moment of oh, I'm in for the long haul with this one. And it was a weird intuition that happened immediately. I remember the feeling. It's like a sense memory. I can think about it and have that feeling again. You do kind of know. I think when you're most yourself and you're happiest with yourself and being alone doesn't mean lonely, that's when you meet the person, right? Yeah, very much so. Sounds like your sense of self has just continued to grow, that you haven't gone back to that place of compromising the integrity of who you are. Because often in relationships, people get into them and then five years in, they realize, oh, I abandoned myself yet again. Have you been able to hold on to yourself or has that still been a challenge for you at moments? No, it's not a challenge. It's easy. And I think that's why the marriage works. I married a solid rock. He's my rock. I have friends who check their husband's phones. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? That seems so exhausting to me. I would never think to do something like that. There's such an ease to our relationship. And we love in completely different industries. And his industry really excites me. And my industry excites him to talk about it. He doesn't want to do it. So I think there's just this this sense of trust. And he's six years younger than I am. So I met him. I was 39 and he was 33. Yeah, my husband is eight years younger than me. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Because I have to tell you, he was so glad that he had met a woman who had her shit together, who had her own bank account, who had her own apartment. I wasn't clinging to his coattails, hoping he asked me to marry him. I was busy. You know, I I didn't have, he'd be like, well, can we have dinner Saturday? I was like, no, I work Saturday night. I was doing a play on Broadway. He was like, well, can we meet afterwards? I was like, well, I have a matinee on Sunday. So Monday's my day off. Why don't we meet Sunday night? You know, he was just like, oh, wow. You know, she's got a life that turned him on. Yes. And that's testament again to building your own identity and building your own life and knowing that the person who's going to be attracted to that is the right person for you. 
And, but that also, I think does come with age. I just do. I think that, you know, when we become older for me, anyway, the things that I thought were important when I was 30 are just not important at 50. You know, I, it's like, I, I'm so happy to miss a party and stay home in my pajamas and watch TV. <laughs> okay. I am too, but I just want to ask you this. Cause I don't want to go. I go to bed at like nine 30 every night, but I just want to be invited just invite me just so I, I just so I know I'm invited. I don't want to go. I'm not going to go, but just let me know you of me. Do you have any, I don't care if I'm invited. Okay. I, I will hopefully get to that point, but I, I have not gone to events past 6 PM in so long that no one invites me anymore. Well, that can be a problem. If you keep saying no, they stop inviting you. I do notice this weird sort of trend that happens. Like when you're on a hit show oh, yeah. and have no time at all, you get invited to literally everything. Yeah, of course. Because and then you have, you have currency all of a sudden. Right. And the then the show ends. went up. Yeah. Yeah. Your currency is way high. And then the show ends and all the freebie gifts stop coming. When they were coming, it only overwhelmed me because I had no time to go through everything. And I'm a I'm a note writer. I'm always saying thank you so much. You know, I always feel so like I should say thank you. And and then when it when you have the time, all of that seems to ebb away. But I think I'm so happy at home. I'm quite a homebody. And it's important to me to have a home I love being in that if you're not going to invite me to the party, it's fine. I have so much I like to do. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's like I have a lot of books I want to read and a lot of documentaries yeah. I want to watch. So exactly. I'm always going, huh, I could stay home and read this book or watch this doc or I could go to this thing. That's kind of what I'm weighing up. And mostly I stay home and don't go to the thing. This is going to sound awful, but I think we should all just admit it. The idea that I have to do my own hair and makeup and show up to somewhere where they're going to be taking pictures and then it's going to go viral. What was she, what I'm like, you know what? I'd rather just not do it. I don't want to have to stress. I don't want to have to deal. It's one of those things where I just, I was thinking just now because during the pandemic, I don't know about you, but I was very taken the moment. Remember how calm this is because I'm always run, running, 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 doing, doing, doing. And suddenly I had time not to. And I said, you have to remember to stay still when it all goes back to normal, as normal as it can be right now. And I caught myself today because I have to fly to LA tomorrow and I have to do this and this and this, and I have to pack and blah, blah, blah. And then I rushed in the bathroom. I was like, oh my God, and then we're going to record this and I should probably put on some makeup. And then I went, or not. Yeah. I am <laughs> so with you. And the thing that I have also been focusing on is not filling the time the way I used to. And really, like now what I do is I put on my schedule, I block out time to do nothing. Right. And it's non-negotiable. Isn't it way. your favorite day when my calendar is always so full and when I see Monday, June 6th, nothing. I'm like, yeah. oh, oh my God, I have nothing. <laughs> I get yeah. so excited. So exciting. It really is. And yeah. I'm also with you on the no makeup business. And like, you know, like I am a big advocate for that. So much of the time it's like, look, I'm showing up how I'm showing up and that's how I am. And you know, that it's not about how I look. It's about what we're talking about anyway. Right. So do I really believe that? Or do I believe that my beauty is still my main currency and I get these mini opportunities to kind of see if I'm walking the talk or not, or, oh, nope, you got a bit more work to do on that area. You know, 
It's those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think every woman goes through. I mean, I'm, I'm always furious when we're getting ready to go to some event and, you know, they have the hair and the makeup people there and the clothes and blah, 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 blah. And it takes two and a half hours. And then my husband walks in and he goes, what time do I have to be ready? And I'm like, uh, in 10 minutes, he goes, I'm good. And he always looks great. And he, does, you know, puts on the same tuxedo, <laughs> never any work goes into it. You know, I actually said to a friend of mine, who's a designer, I was like, could you just make me a really fabulous, gorgeous black tuxedo. And I'm just going to wear my hair slicked back, red lipstick, Ooh. no makeup, just red lipstick and a tuxedo to everything. You know what? I would love to see you do that, Juliana, because you would <laughs> kill it. Would- yeah, but after like the 17th time, people would be like, okay, enough. But you know, Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, she was hounded so much by the paparazzi that she started to you always saw her in a black turtleneck. She would always wear the same black turtleneck, ponytail, same lipstick, and they stopped hounding her. Because it's not a new picture, is it? What are they going to do? Like 50 That's right. of the same outfit? That's so smart. It's very telling. And, you know, Alicia Keys, for example, didn't wear makeup for years. And I love that she did that. If you love the conversation, then I wanted to tell you about another podcast I host called VS Voices. The VS Voices podcast provides a platform for women to speak their diverse truths, share personal stories, and advance discussions of issues that are important to them. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. What are the things that excite you at the moment? What do you want to put your your focus onto? Where are you feeling inspired? That is a great question. So at the moment, I wish I could talk about it, but the deal's not done yet. Talk in vague terms. So I'll talk about the feeling of what I'm inspired by. Okay. Which is, I was getting a lot of scripts when The Good Wife ended six years ago. Um, I did, you know, some jobs here and there, and I got really lucky to do the morning show and play a great character, but it wasn't my show. You know, I was guest star, basically. And I loved her. And I kept getting scripts and doing phone calls with people and nothing lit a fire under me. I thought, I've done ER, I've done The Good Wife, my next chapter has to be something so different and something that really speaks to me. And then I'm excited to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Cause when, when you do do a show, it's your life, you know, it has to be so great that I'm happy to leave my family. Otherwise I just would rather stay here. My producing partner and I came up with a character and came up with a storyline and found an amazing writer. She wrote the pilot. We created the character and the circumstance in the pilot, and we just sold it. Congratulations. That is no small feat. It really isn't. No, it's not. And it was a long time coming. I want this character, I want her to be unapologetically a female in her 50s. Mm, Thank God. And I, there's a lot of things about her I want to be able to explore because I just feel, and one of them is my mother has was diagnosed, right, I would say halfway through the pandemic or lockdown or whatever with dementia. Same as and, mine, halfway through the oh, pandemic really? with dementia. I'm so yeah. sorry. I think it made, was she alone? Yes. Mine too. And there were moments, you know, I had a woman check check on her. She lived in her house by herself. But, you know, and one day the woman called me and she said she left her car on in the garage. You know, I would drive the 45 minutes to get to her and and I'd noticed the stove was on, like just little things where it was no longer viable for her to live alone. Safe, she yeah. couldn't do that. Um, and I took her to the doctor and, and it turns out she has dementia. And I noticed that like little, you know, she would say, oh, you know, that thing, honey, that thing on your face, it's, um, and I'd be like, your nose, 
She's like, right. Ha ha. You know, like it was like little words that just would escape her. And then it's progressively and there's good days and bad days and there's hilarious moments and then just gut wrenching, brutal, sad moments, because you're also sort of watching your history of your childhood be rewritten by someone. Yeah. She's changing the history with what she thinks happened. And I want to talk about that. I haven't seen a show and it's not going to just be about that, but it is going to be about addiction and being an adult child of a parent with dementia, but it's going to be sexy. Everyone's hoping that no one's going to bring it up. I know exactly. We and I, I want to culture and women who are, who are over 35 in certainly in your industry, you know, you know what I watched the other day is that Amy Schumer skit, the one I've seen it. I've watched it so many times. Lost oh, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Yeah, it's genius. Oh, so good. I mean, I'm not like, fuckable anymore. Yeah, The Last Fuckable Day. And I watched it again just because I love it so much. And it, it's so clever and so well done and so sadly true. So, you know, but not, but not. It's like not and I, I want to shed a spotlight on that and put that rumor to bed. Because it's boring. I'm excited to hear and to see what you bring to that because you're right. That she does not exist on television. And yet there are so many of us who are at at that stage of life, right? Yeah. That isn't explored with humor and with sensuality and with gravitas. And you will bring that. That is so exciting. Thank you. I'm excited about it. So yeah, so that's what I've been, that's what I've been up to. Well, I cannot wait to see whatever that is. Whenever that news breaks, I'm going to be, you know, looking forward to seeing what that is. And I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. This has been such an insightful and, you know, heartwarming chat. I feel like my audience who listens to the conversation is going to just love hearing from you. So I I want to thank you again for coming and spending time. Oh, thank you for having me. I have a quick question. Yes, please. Where is your daughter flying off to on her own tomorrow? To New York. Oh, and you're in LA. I'm in LA. Oh, she'll be fine. I really hope so. (laughs) She'll be fine. I don't know. I was suddenly picturing her like flying off to Spain or Italy or somewhere where I I can see like you know, and then I was like, maybe I should get her a handler. And I was like, no, she's not like, she's 15. She's going to be fine. But, you know, I mean, talk to me tomorrow when I drop her off at the airport and see what kind of state I'm in. We took our son to um, Italy this year for spring break, because for some reason, we don't know why, but Latin seems to be the one subject in school that he's absolutely passionate about. I loved Latin in school. Great. Yeah. I mean, we took him and we went to Florence and Rome and we were in Florence and he said, I really want to discover the city by myself. And his phone didn't work in Florence. He didn't get Google maps or whatever. And I said, well, there's the river and you know, the hotel is on the river and you know the name of the hotel. But if you're not back in two hours, we're going to send a search party for you. He's like, I got this. I got it. And he went off on his own and he got lost. And he had to ask someone for directions. And it was great for him because he started walking around trying to hear if someone was speaking English because he can't speak Italian. And finally he found some tourists and he said, do you have any idea where such and such hotel is and where maybe where at least the river is? And And he made his way back. He was proud of that, you know? So, you know, God bless him. He'll be fine. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I will be holding (laughs) on to that story tomorrow. I will. (laughs) 
15 year old girls are a lot. They have it together much more so than a 15 year old girl is like an 18 year old girl compared to a 15 year old boy. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's true. Well, it was such a pleasure to meet you. I really enjoyed our conversation. You too. Thank you so very much. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and don't forget that if you love the conversation, then check out VS Voices, which highlights trailblazing women from around the world to celebrate the female experience. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter and follow me on social media at Amanda Decadney.